folks. Welcome to episode 113 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week, we are going to go through the usual roundup of vulnerability fixes from the past week. We've got about 21 CVEs to go over there, and that's looking at things like uh, kernel update, uh, DNS mask, OpenJDK, uh, file roller, and more. And then we're going to have a bit of a discussion about the recent uh, 2104 Pursuit Hippo release, as well as what's kind of been a bit of a storm in a teacup, perhaps, but uh, the hypocrite commits in the upstream Linux kernel. So let's get straight into it. So up first, we've got a notification about a regression in the kernel. This was for uh, Ubuntu releases 14.04, extended security maintenance, 6.04, 8.04, and 20.04 long-term support. Uh, in this case, we had a fix for a previous uh, OverlayFS uh, privilege escalation vulnerability, and that unfortunately introduced a memory leak, so it turned, I guess, what could have been a privilege escalation into a denial of service, uh, you know, if you could leak too much memory. But uh, yeah, that has now been fixed as well. Uh, after that was an update for DNS mask. So in this, there were two different CVEs that were addressed for uh, the 6.04 long-term support release. Both of these were denial of service issues. One of them was a possible out-of-bounds read uh, that could then trigger a crash. So you could crash DNS mask. But the other uh, was essentially more like a trust issue, but was only valid uh, for DNSSEC configuration. So if you're using DNSSEC, uh, which isn't probably uh, the majority of people out there, but nonetheless, uh, you could end up uh, in a configuration where... DNS mask would prove the non-existence of host names that actually existed. So you could then get essentially denial of service by you know not being able to resolve particular names as a result, but they were both fixed. Uh, after that was an update for Shibboleth. Uh, this is the single sign-on service uh, for the in-common federation system. Uh, and in this case, there was a possible content injection bug uh, in their error or other pages that uh, because of the way that it used the template generation would then allow uh, or would then make use of attacker-controlled input so you could then get in content injection as a result. Uh, an update as well for Firefox. So this is to the latest upstream 88.0 release. And uh, this is for uh, all of our current uh, supported releases. So 6.04, 8.04, 20.04, long-term support, and uh, 2010, Groovy Gorilla. And so in this uh, update, you'll see the usual mix of uh, web-related uh, vulnerabilities or you know, vulnerabilities that we see in these sorts of web engines. But uh, there was uh, a couple other particular ones for so use after free in the responsive design mode, as well as an issue with the FTP client in Firefox. And uh, so that made me scratch my head because I thought that uh, the FTP client uh, was deprecated and actually been removed. Uh, but it turns out it looks like the uh, upstream have uh, they've deprecated it, so they've disabled it by default, but it is still present in um, you know, recent Firefox releases, so you can actually still use it if you really want to go and browse FTP uh, you know, sites, but uh, I would uh, recommend against that, because in this case, uh, there was vulnerability around handling of crafted FTP URLs, and if you had, uh, if you were opening one that contained a new line in it, then that could then allow uh, the, you know, the attacker to inject FTP commands that then the you know Firefox would go and execute, so you could you know retrieve files or upload files from your local machine or whatever it was that uh, you know the attacker was wanting to do. So yeah, I uh, it's a good idea. I think that they have uh, deprecated that FTP client, and you know, it would be good to see that removed in future uh, releases. So you know, watch out for that. Uh, there was an update as well for File Roller. This is the archive handler or the GUI archive handler in GNOME that you know is often used uh, by uh, GNOME Shell and other bits as well. 
Uh, and so this was actually an incomplete fix for previous CV that we discussed back in episode 72. Uh, that was a directory traversal vulnerability through a symlink uh, that could be you know, done when extracting archives. And so yeah, another fix was needed for this, so they've assigned an additional CV, so that's being done as well. Uh, what else have we got? An update for OpenJDK. Uh, this is the latest upstream point release to fix an issue uh, where it would fail to properly verify signatures on crafted JAR uh, archives. So that could then bypass security restrictions if a JAR is signed with an algorithm that was actually disabled, uh, but that has now been fixed as well. Plus we had an update for Ruby. Uh, this is for uh, the 2104, the Hirsute Hippo release. So this is actually the first USN uh, that was published mentioning uh, Hirsute that I can find. Uh, and this was an XML deserialization issue. Plus we had an update as well for underscore, uh, the JavaScript library. And again, uh, this is for the uh, 2104 release as well. Uh, this was a code injection issue uh, through their template functions. Again, failing to properly handle untrusted input. And that is it for the week in security updates. So uh, I did just mention uh, you know, a couple updates for the 2104 Hisute Hippo release. And yeah, that's the first item in our other uh, kind of news to discuss. So uh, this was released, uh, well, about a week ago now. And uh, this is the latest standard support release. This is supported for nine months. Uh, it's kind of you know, a stepping stone on the way to the next long-term support release, which will be 2204, so in another year's time. Uh, some notable things from this from a security point of view that we discussed actually in the previous episodes is the private home directories. So uh, your home directories are now not world readable by default if you have done a fresh install of um, you know, the Hasu Tipo release. If you do an upgrade, that will not go and change the permission on your home directory. So that's something you can go and do manually yourself, you know, Chimodit 750 essentially. After that, uh, there's an update as well, obviously to a lot of different packages in particular, you know, the kernel is updated to 5.11 and this brings with it a number of features as well that are security related. So if you are say running uh, this on RISC-V hardware, uh, there is now stack protector enabled for that, which is cool to see. Uh, you know, so some of these hardening features are coming to these other architectures and some of these newer architectures. Uh, there's also improved performance for uh, some of the Spectre related mitigations that are in there through uh, this new static calls feature. What else we got? Uh, there's initial support for ta uh, memory tagging on ARM64. So what this does is it allows the user space process to uh, tell the kernel that you know, this region of memory is uh, or should be you know, treated with memory tagging. And that then allows it to essentially uh, you know, store some bits in the higher part, uh, in the lower parts, no, so the higher parts of, the, of pointers uh, that is kind of random. And that then means you, know, you can't forge a pointer to some other part of memory, which is cool. Uh, but this does also then require user space support. Uh, so ideally uh, there will be a glibc update sometime in the future that means things like you know, malloc and others will automatically uh, you know, enable this as well. At the moment, this is kind of an opt-in thing. So yeah, but it is a good uh, stepping stone to see that uh, you know, kind of memory defensive technique being able to be more widely available. And so maybe in the future, you know, this will be uh, one more string in the bow to protect against memory corruption vulnerabilities. Uh, what else? There's also an update to the latest uh, OpenSSH uh, open release 8.4, which brings with it uh, improved support for FIDO or U2F um, tokens. So, you know, if you are using those for two-factor auth, that is cool to see as well. Okay, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about in uh, this week's podcast episode is, I guess, uh, there's been a lot of news about uh, this hypocrite commits paper that's come out of the University of Minnesota. And this actually first came to light 
back in November 2020, uh, there was a tweet uh, from one of the authors of this paper, and it just had the front page of the paper and sort of saying they just had it accepted to the IEEE Security and Privacy Conference uh, this year, or 2021. And at that point, uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, well, there wasn't obviously a lot of detail. I only had the first page of the paper, but it seemed to indicate that what they had done for this paper was to get a bunch of commits added to the kernel that introduced uh, purposely security vulnerabilities. And obviously, you know, they weren't noticed at the time. And uh, without the whole paper, it was very hard to, you know, make a good judgment as to what had actually happened there. And there was a lot of... Um, discussion on Twitter and other places amongst both kernel developers and uh, security researchers and the likes about both the ethics of doing such a thing, you know, whether that's just purposely introducing vulnerabilities obviously isn't awesome, but uh, also kind of experimenting on the Linux kernel community without their consent uh, is also kind of strange. And there was a lot of questions at the time whether it had passed uh, ethics review board and that kind of thing. And uh, so this has more recently come to light now because the paper has actually been published in full. So people could see that. Um, at the time, though, you know, the researchers did claim uh, that they had uh, sent through subsequent commits that fixed the actual vulnerabilities, that no you know, actual vulnerabilities were introduced as a result because you know, they immediately fixed them up. But it did show that you know, the review process wasn't sufficient to catch them. And I guess that's what they were trying to point out. Uh, you know, thinking about this from an Ubuntu point of view, we, you know, take various commits from upstream. So even though, you know, they may have introduced fix-up commits, it's not always true that downstream distros would have also picked those up. So that's just something to keep in mind. But anyway, back in November, you know, as a team, we kind of thought this was interesting and it was sort of demonstrating something that I guess a lot of people in uh, open source software and security have always thought was um, potentially feasible, which is that, once you become a known trusted contributor to a project, uh, you know, you're, you're, because of that high trust level between you and the other developers, your uh, commits aren't necessarily as closely reviewed as others. You are trusted you know, to you know, maintain the security of that project. And so it's relatively easy then potentially to introduce uh, commits that do introduce vulnerabilities. Uh, that's also not to say that people don't obviously introduce commits that introduce vulnerabilities all the time anyway. That's, you know, what we talk about on this podcast every week. You know, every week there are new vulnerabilities and it's because people are writing code that, that has, uh, you know, has issues in it. It isn't easy still at the moment to write uh, secure code, particularly when we keep using uh, memory unsafe languages like C and the like. Um, so, yeah, but uh, this issue then more recently came to light, uh, as I say, when the paper was published in full. I've got a link to that in the show notes if you want to have a look. And this kind of made it more clear that uh, there was potentially three malicious commits in, 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 that they were talking about. And only one of them actually got axed. Two of them did get rejected outright. Uh, so that was interesting to see that it wasn't as bad as you know, what they'd initially claimed. And then uh, we had people like uh, Greg Krohartman uh, weigh into the discussion saying that essentially all contributions from the University of Minnesota to the kernel should be backed out. You know, he didn't essentially trust them at all. Plus, he thought it was a, you know, a breach of trust anyway and to kind of, I guess, punish that. Said all of their commits should be reverted. Uh, we then also had the technical advisory board to the kernel uh, you know, say that actually, uh, you know, no, uh, most of these commits were in good faith. Uh, and there was a lot of confusion here because then we also had the University of Minnesota researchers claiming that some of the commits that they'd sent through were, you know, generated by or, you know, found by some new static analysis tool that they'd written. And so it really wasn't clear what was going on. Um, but I guess the, the wash up at the end of the day is that some commits from these developers have been reverted now upstream. Uh, there were no 
actual, um, you know, because of their follow-up commits, there were no actual vulnerabilities introduced directly from them into the kernel. Um, but I think what it really shows is, like, what, well, I suppose what they set out to prove is that the review process isn't sufficient at the moment in the kernel. Uh, and that's not just for the kernel. It's obviously true for a lot of pieces of software. Um, vulnerabilities do keep getting introduced in all the time, as I said, and we are not catching them you know, before they actually get committed and released. Uh, so you know, while it's easy to sort of say, clearly we need you know, more, better, you know, static analysis and continuous integration systems and, you know, even dynamic analysis, fuzz testing and the like to try to find these things before they do get out to users. Um, I think we also need to look at kind of the processes around how we, you know, welcome new contributors to the community, how we eventually learn to trust them or not, and how we go about vetting that. And I think that the upstream kernel in particular uh, perhaps places a bit too much faith on people and should have perhaps a closer review process uh, through the various maintainers, trees and the like. Um, and the other, I guess, part of that is that it really shows that we all need to make sure that we can move quickly so that when vulnerabilities are identified, whether they're due to you know, purposefully malicious commits or not, that we can very quickly remediate them. And so the upstream kernel obviously is very good at that. Our kernel team in Ubuntu, you know, we have three weekly uh, stable release update cycles where they are always bringing in the latest, uh, you know, stable tree sets of patches plus other, you know, vulnerability fixes. And they do have the ability to spin emergency kernels when needed for high priority vulnerabilities and the like. Uh, so, yeah, that ability to move fast so that, you know, even if there are vulnerabilities, we can get those updates out is really important as well. It always reminds me of, you know, the old Russian proverb, uh, trust but verify, or I'm probably going to butcher this, or dovure, no probure. So, you know, we need to be able to welcome people to the to our communities and have them to be able to, uh, you know, commit code, but we still need to, you know, make sure we're verifying what they're doing. We need to implicitly trust them because the vast majority of people are acting in good faith. Even these researchers, essentially, you know, we're trying to prove something, uh, even though they did it in a bit of a you know, way that thumbed their nose at the community to kind of say, look, you know, processes need to be improved. Um, but we need to, you know, ultimately verify those things. So we need both better technical solutions for that, but I also think better social solutions too. So perhaps the way that the kernel community is structured, uh, perhaps we need better ways that, um, you know, when maintainers accept pull requests and, and the like, they need better uh, oversight of that kind of thing too. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that was that's that storm in a teacup. Uh, there is actually a really good write-up of that on Linux Weekly News, LWN.net at the moment, which is, I think, paywalled for the next week or so if you're not an LWN subscriber, but that will be out uh, freely uh, within the next week or so if you want to go check that out as well. Okay, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention this week is we are still hiring. We've got three open positions at the moment. Uh, we are still looking for an AppArmor security engineer. Uh, that is for anyone in the uh, Americas or EMEA kind of time zones uh, to work, you know, from home remotely. So if you are, you know, an AppArmor hacker and you want to uh, do that, you know, for Canonical and get paid to do that, uh, I urge you to check that out. The other position we've got is a cryptography and security engineer position on our certifications team, again, in the Americas uh, time zones. And finally, uh, for a worldwide, you know, anyone in the world, if you want to come and join uh, the Ubuntu security team and you know, help make Ubuntu more secure, uh, we've got a position there for anyone in the world to apply for as well, fully remote. I urge you to check those out. Uh, you know, when you do apply, uh, you know, if you are keen, make sure you write a good cover letter kind of describing why you're applying and why you're, you know, really excited to be part of the Ubuntu security team. Uh, we would love to have you join our team. Okay, uh, so that's it for this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team about anything related to the podcast or anything else Ubuntu security related, you can reach us at security at ubuntu.com. 
We do hang out on the Ubuntu Harden channel on uh, irc.freenode.net. Uh, we do have a security section on discourse.ubuntu.com if you're already part of that community, or if you're not, come and join and create a topic there. And finally, if you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Ubuntu underscore sec there as well. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. Uh, next week is uh, Sprint Week at Canonical, so I will still try to get out a podcast episode, but it may be a little shorter because I'll probably be distracted with uh, you know planning and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.